there is a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. And, but her heart uh, sank when she read the question on the application that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she uh, wrote no and returned the application expecting the worst. But to her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you know what? Um, I, I can relate to this gal. I wasn't a leader when I first started going to junior college. Uh, maybe some of you best relate to the 1,452 that said they were leaders. Uh, I wasn't. Some of you maybe were captains on sports teams or maybe uh, roles you filled in student government in high school. Maybe you were editors on the school newspaper. I was on the school newspaper, but never was an editor. I was on sports teams, but never was a captain. I wasn't in student government, but I cheated and helped a friend of mine get into student government. Um, maybe you were a director or a lead actor or actress in a school play. Maybe you were valedictorian. I was definitely none of those things. I couldn't relate to any of these leader positions. Now, for the past three weeks, Roger has um, showed and shared with us insights on biblical leadership. He uh, started by focusing on humility being an essential leadership quality, but not just for leaders, for everyone. He gave us reasons for humility from 1 Peter chapter 1. He showed in James chapter 1 that the road to humility is through trials. And then he shared marks of humility. Greater awareness of personal failings than of others. A desire to help those wandering. And a, a personally faithful life. All found in Matthew chapter 7, the first five verses. Then for the past two weeks, he dug into the qualifications of elders according to 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus chapter 1. He emphasized that spiritual maturity is essential for leadership in the church, but it's also essential for everyone. He did such a great job of explaining the, the different qualities and characteristics of elders and and their roles and why it's important for us as a church body to know what God has to say to them as leaders. And you know what, I hope you didn't close your mind off to what he was saying because maybe you were thinking, well, that's, that's not for me. I'm not a leader. Now listen, Roger and I and a few others in here, we geek out on this stuff, okay? We, we just do. Because we so much want to, want to grow and understand how we can be better leaders. But I have to tell you, I was also thinking, hmm, 
I wasn't always a leader. And yet God has worked over these past 42 years to develop. I didn't do it on my own. It started with a youth pastor who had a vision for me, one that I never, ever would have dreamed of for myself. And through that, then I got opportunities to serve within the church. Opportunities that I never sought out, but I was asked, would you pray about this? And as I did, uh, I, I gained an experience. And God started working in my heart things that I never knew were there. See, I graduated from high school with my goal of perpetually being a C student, right? I, I, it just was. I just wanted to pass. I didn't have a, a vision for my future. I didn't have goals. And so, you know, maybe I'm, I'm overdoing it, but maybe some of you uh, are in here thinking, oh man, we're talking about leadership again. Okay, yeah, well, I could have just stayed home. No, because it's for all of us. Um, if you did think like that, if, if you are thinking that, hey, okay, what am I going to get out of this? I, I just want to just say, you got to snap out of it. Because God's word is speaking to each and every one of you, whether you're in a formal position of leader or not. Because I believe that we are all called to leadership. And that's a call by God not because of our abilities, not because of our knowledge, not because of our insights. It's a call by God, and God calls each and every one of us to follow him, to imitate him, and to reflect him to all those around us. Everything that Rogers taught is applicable and profitable for every one of us. And I hope to continue that this morning. And uh, whether you feel like a leader or not, with the idea that leader is spelled S-E-R-V-A-N-T. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, 11 verses, verse 35 through 45. Please understand that there is no way that uh, this can be a comprehensive study on leadership, and it, it just can't be done. And it, it, at the same time, the same is true regarding servant leadership. There is so much in Scripture that we can glean about servant leadership. Um, but I, I wanted to put up in here uh, uh, some resources that have been very helpful to me, and, and I wanted to bring them to you because um, maybe they'd be helpful to you if you so want to follow up on this more. But the, the first is, is um, biblical leadership. And, and that book is phenomenal. Go ahead and put that slide on up there, Cindy. There you go. And it might be a little slide, but on the far left, biblical leadership. Uh, Roger and I uh, purchased this book so that it could help prepare us for trying to teach about biblical leadership. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like blown away. 
In, in fact, there's so much information that I was trying to cram on in that I had to stop and revamp what I was originally doing because I was almost just like quoting all these different authors who took different chapters from Old Testament through the New Testament, from Hebrew, from Greek, from the cultures of old and new, and they were all building a basis. They're the best of the best in their fields, and they were all building a basis for biblical leadership. Can't talk about this book highly enough. Um, As John Piper once said, raking is easy, but all you get are leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. I'm telling you, this is a book I found a lot of diamonds. Now, what makes a leader great? Put, put, go ahead and go. What makes a leader great by Russ Cross? And now, listen, I have all kinds of leadership books in my office, and I, I, I don't try to accumulate the latest leadership books because so many of them take their ideas and thoughts and, and try to take them from the secular world, and there's a lot that can be learned. Uh, uh, leadership principles and ideas, but, uh, you know, they just kind of, I don't want that. I want to, okay, what does the Bible say? What does God have to say? And this is a a, a gentleman, Russ Crossan, who took over the Ron Blue Ministries, and um, uh, he shares his journey, but it is so packed with biblical insight, and it's a smaller book. Biblical leadership is 512 pages, Okay, you don't read it all the way through. You, you, you take like one little chunk and decide, okay, what do I want to read? Well, what makes a, a leader great is about 110, and it's a shorter book. And then also spiritual leadership. Um, hopefully, uh, many of you have, have read that book um, because it is a classic by J. Oswald Sanders. And that's a must read for any Christian. So I really encourage you. You know what? If you're interested in, in pursuing more, uh, those are at least three places to get started. Uh, what makes Russ Crossan's book so good is it's not another um, how-to book or what-to-do book, but it's a why book. Why be a great leader? I like that. But enough of that. Let's get back to, to where we're focusing on. In the New Testament, leadership is rarely treated as a subject itself. You know, one of the guys uh, did a, a study, um, or, and, and he found that of, of different words with different translations, he took 13 modern translations, and he found out all the different translations where they did the word leader or leadership and, uh, 48 times. And... But what he found out was really fascinating, that the consistency of that was all messed around. said even translations that used leadership, the word leader or leadership, in one context did not use that same word in another similar context. I'm like, wow, how come that is? It's just really difficult, and without trying to go into a whole bunch of detail, you know, there's just not a great word that translates leader. We try to get pictures from the Hebrew, from the Greek especially, to be able to go, okay, what is that picture? And some of the pictures that that we see uh, the best 
and, and what some people did on a work is they kind of said, okay, the bottom line comes down to two words. One is governing and one is guide, being a guide. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay? When it all boils down to all the different words and etymologies and uh, all, everything going on, you can pretty much put them down into two categories, that of governing and that of guiding. And governing is not used in a uh, biblical Christian concept. Talking about the Roman government, it's talking about Caesar, it's talking about, you know, Pontius Pilate, it's talking about people who are in these positions who, of power. But guiding, that's more along the way of helping others. And that's where then you start getting these other word pictures of shepherd. And we see the example of Jesus as the good shepherd. I was going to do uh, today's message. I told Roger, you know, earlier this week, yeah, I'm doing First Peter chapter 5. That's like one of my favorite passages. It's a passage that I try to live my life by. And then I thought, huh? No, because I, I, I want to make sure that even though I don't think we can ever have uh, enough information about leadership within the church and in the New Testament and, and for us today with elders and overseers and pastors, I, I decided I'm going to stay away from that because I want to go to something that I just thought, man, this, this is uh, better, I hope. And leadership isn't the subject of the New Testament. It is rarely, rarely treated in the New Testament as a subject. You want to know why? Because Jesus is the subject. Hear me on that. The focus isn't on leadership. The focus is on Jesus. And because the focus is on Jesus, we can learn from him, from his leadership, learn from what he declares is what makes a leader from his examples, from his words. And there's only one place, according to Robert Stacy, where leadership is treated as the subject in the Gospels. Only one place. And it's right here in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 40. So if you wouldn't mind, um, join with me as I read and and. We have it up on the screen for you as well. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> okay, you know there's something not too good right here, right? I mean, that's kind of like your kids coming up to you, you know. Hey, Dad, I want you to do for me what, what, uh, what I ask you to do, okay, Dad? Yeah, a, a foolish dad's going to say, sure, son, or sure, daughter. A wise one's going to kind of go, hmm. Same response that Jesus had in verse 36. And he, Jesus, said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at the right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this, uh, man, this just kind of blows me away. And so I'm just going to kind of give a little, a little backdrop about Mark. It's probably the first gospel written. Uh, the other gospels quoted all but 31 verses of Mark. And one of Mark's main themes in his gospel is that Jesus as servant. The author, John Mark, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. And John Mark wrote down Peter's words and thoughts. So he was almost like Peter's scribe. And because when, when Peter would describe to him certain things where Peter was at, oh man, there's great detail there. Peter's probably saying, hey, don't miss this. Don't miss out this. And so he wrote this under the inspiration uh, of the Holy Spirit. And why, why did I choose this? Well, you know, this... Verse 45, most scholars look at this as the main key passage in the entire book. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to give you some descriptions of servants. Uh, In verse 38, you see that they drink the cup. The cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on Jesus. Mark chapter 14, 36 says, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's agonizing. It's right before he is going to be taken away. He's asked the disciples to pray for him, but they fall asleep. And Jesus says, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He says, yet not what I will, but you will. You know, these, uh, uh, James and John, God bless them. They they were awesome men. And uh, I just look at this and I just kind of think, first of all, the arrogance for them to come to Jesus And Jesus has been trying to teach them and model for them 
The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Jesus would teach him about the upside down kingdom. The world says, hey, get everything you can. Get it all. Jesus says, no, give it all. Give it all away. So the rich young ruler said, hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Thought, yeah, I can't do that. Can't, can't do that. Jesus was saying, hey, listen, follow my example. Give your life. They didn't get it, though. At the time that they were asking this, they're still thinking about a different kind of kingdom. They're thinking about a kingdom here on earth. They're thinking about, hey, I'm going to be like his general. I'll be on one side, and John, you be on the other. And, you know, if you read the similar account in Matthew chapter 20, it says that their mom went to Jesus and bowed down and made the request. So uh, I believe that we can bring those two together very easily. Uh, Matthew mentions mom, and here Mark doesn't mention mom, but she's probably right there. Not probably, she is. And their mom was Salome, and, and many scholars believe that uh, Salome was Mary's sister. Jesus' mom. So if that's the case, this is Jesus' aunt. Little, little family kind of positioning there. These James and John, I would make them Jesus' cousins. I don't know. I'm not positive. I just know that there's many who believe that to be so. And so, you know, she's asking, and these boys, you know, she said, hey, boys, tell, tell, tell them. Ask them. And so the guys, hey, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, okay, what is it you want me to do for you? Grant us to sit one at the right hand and one on the left in your glory. Still not thinking about the kingdom of God. Still thinking about in your glory here on earth when you overthrow the Romans, when you establish a new, a new kind of kingdom here on earth. Wow. It's... Uh, Pretty, pretty bold. And then Jesus just said to them in verse 8, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And then he goes on, or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? Baptism was Jesus' own suffering and death. Psalm 88.7 says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Jesus knew what he was going to be facing. But he also knew these guys didn't. And can you believe their answer? And they said to him, We are able. <laughs> oh man. Wow. But look at how Jesus answered. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Oh, yes, you will drink that cup. 
You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed because of me. And baptism, you know, when we have our baptisms, that's symbolic. It's symbolic of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And in this case, the baptism was Jesus' own suffering and death. He's trying to tell his two guys here who are asking for special favors. Um, yeah, you're going to be going through that too. And though they didn't comprehend it and they didn't get it, they oh yeah, we're, we're able to do that. Sure. Only later on, you've got them hiding and cowering. Let's look at verse 42. Don't act like pagan leaders. That's the third description of a servant. Verse 42, and Jesus called them over and exercised authority over them. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how he had to kind of bring them back. Because in, in verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Indignant. They were angry. They were mad. They were upset. And so Jesus, he, he had to like, okay, wait a minute. Guys, come here. Come here. Kind of like a huddle. And he called them over to them. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. So when we see this, a description of a servant, you don't act like the pagan leaders do. So for you and I, we don't act like the worldly leaders do today. Why is there so much strife? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much discord and, and disunity? Because we've got all kinds of people in the political realms who are trying to position themselves for power or prestige you know, Jesus never did that. And then that, that creeps into the church. And there's divisions within the church. When people make the political parties more powerful, more important than the fact that they're sons or daughters of Jesus Christ. That should always, always be number one. Everything else, forget about it. And so Jesus calls them together and he just gives the example, hey, this is what the pagan leaders do. And then in verse 43, he gives a description. He says, serve others and act in their best interest, not your best interest. Look at verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. This is how the world operates. You don't. The world wants to climb. I want you to descend. That's how I'm going to change this world. Roger, again, talking about humility. Thinking of others more highly than 
ourselves. The great commandment in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Look at verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus loved you and I sacrificially. And that's the last point, last uh, description of a servant. Sacrifice. Because in verse 43, when he says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And he says, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I want you to see the difference. Servant is one who executes the commands of another. A slave is one who gives himself up to another's will. We're to do both. When we do that to Jesus, he did that to the Father. Philippians 2, but I'm not going to talk about that because I, I know we're going to be getting to that when we go through the book of Philippians in a few weeks. But Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, took on the form of flesh and blood. He did this when he followed through with the Father's will in Mark 4, 36 again. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's our example. That's our model. And the greatest example of service, verse 45 for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom of Christ's life was paid to God the Father. Who accepted it as just payment for the sins of you and I? That's, that's the greatest example of service. And yet we're called to look at others in this same way. Is it easy? No way. Will it cost us? Absolutely. If it doesn't cost us, I dare think that maybe it's not genuine. Or maybe if it doesn't cost us, we'd have to reevaluate. Is it because maybe we're not followers, but we're fans? Another place where I would encourage you to look in Scripture is in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 20. And that's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. What an example. What an example of being a servant. You'll see that it laid his garment down and they got a towel and wrapped it around him. That's symbolic of, okay, yeah, just like he's laying his life down. And here's what he's got to do. Here's what he's going to show the apostles. And, you know, the guy's like, man, not me. Yeah, you. 
or else you're not part of me. Well, then, not just my feet, but my whole body. No, that's not necessary, Pete. That's not necessary. But read John chapter 13. You know, I, I just wanted to include something on here because, again, um, I wanted to make sure that the focus is on Jesus Christ. But I think there's some great questions just to be thought of um, when I think about leadership by others in Scripture. And so I just wanted to include these for you. It's from an article that I read, a guy by the name of Ron Edmondson. And he just, 10 biblical characters and their leadership tension. Because I think maybe you can relate to some of these. You're thinking, yeah, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader in the ministry. I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, someone who comes to church. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. Doesn't matter if you're single or married doesn't matter if you got kids or don't have kids. I think you'll be able to see something in these 10 different characters. So David, have you fought a giant? Do you feel unqualified? There's tension there. Maybe not all of you, but I'm sure there's somebody in this room, hey, man, I, I don't know how I, I got into this position. I talked to uh, men quite a bit. And they're just, man, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to be that godly husband and father for my family. Just kind of happened. Yeah, no. There's a tension. But guess what? I, I love about David is he still fought the giant. And he didn't look at himself as unqualified because you know why? Because he knew God was with him. God was leading him. He wasn't dependent on himself, even though he could say, I've got some experience. I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear protecting the sheep. But you know what? The God of Israel is with me. This giant's going down. But there's still tension. How about Esther? What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Man, this, this poor gal. She was in a situation where, you know, her, her people were, were going to be slaughtered. And her only chance of saving them is, does she go before a king who could just say, hey, what are you doing? Um, hey, out of my presence. In fact, you know what? Kill her. I don't need her. I got a whole bunch of others. But he goes before the king and changes the whole dynamic. The one man who is trying to kill all the Israelites ended up being killed himself. That's how God works. God went before her. You, you sensed it was up to you to do it, yet the outcome was unpredictable and scary. She had no idea. We get to know because of hindsight. Esther had no idea what was going to happen. How about um, Paul or Joseph? Have you ever prepared for a potentially bleak future? Man, that guy, that guy had a bleak future. His own brothers, they almost killed him, but then it's like, eh, okay, well, we'll just sell him. Just get rid of him. He's daddy's favorite. Let's get rid of him. And then, you know, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? He was so honorable to his, his boss, but his wife told lies because she was frustrated because she couldn't get Joseph to compromise himself and sleep with her. And she tipped it up all the time, constantly. And when he finally wouldn't do it, she ah, makes up this lie. Oh, he, he tried to 
He tried to get me. He's thrown in prison. Also, have you ever had to reconcile a broken relationship? Years later, you know, at the end of Genesis, chapter 55, verse 20, when, when, when Joseph is able to say, what you meant for evil to his brothers, God meant for good. I guarantee you, Joseph did not understand that all those years that he was going through the things that he went through. And yet, he reconciled a broken relationship. I think there's some in this room who can see that, yeah, I, I can't skate by that one. Or how about Paul? Has changing, has changing culture ever impacted your, your leadership? Did you ever have problems getting the established leaders to trust you? Remember he was the persecutor of Christians? God gets him on the Damascus Road, and then can you imagine what some of the Christians were thinking when Paul's like, yeah, I'm a believer now. I mean, I, I gotta be honest, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, right. He's just doing that so he can find out where we're meeting at. And then he can round up more of us. Paul had to deal with that. How about Gideon? Do you ever feel that you're not prepared to fulfill what you know you have to do? Man, God kept weaning down that army. Yeah, no, get rid of it. No, no, you got too many. You got too many. You got too many. And he whittles it on down to just a, a few hundred to take on the opposing armies. And it's like, whoa, how are we supposed to do this? Um, God, what's going on? Well, guess what? God's saying, hey, you might not get it, but it's so I get the glory, not you. How many times do you and I wrestle with those things? It's like, man, I want the glory. I want, I, I want to be recognized. And yet, again, another example, another reminder why do I want to be recognized? So I can feel good? Or do I want to do something because God gets the credit and God gets the glory and people see him through whatever situation he's put us through? Rahab has your history. <laughs> wow, think about that one. Been a deterrent in some people's minds, thinking you shouldn't be in a position God has afforded you. Yeah, her history wasn't exactly the, the best. How about Moses? Is the weight of your responsibility ever overwhelming? Is someone else getting to complete the work and enjoy the benefits of something you started? Do you remember... Moses is leading, oh my goodness, these millions of Israelites. He's led them. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're, they're, they're almost on the precipice of going into the promised land. And Moses, because he's so angry at the people, not at God, he just, do you want me to produce water out of this rock? And he takes his staff and bam! Rock splits over and here comes water. And all of a sudden, guess what? God says, hey, you know what, Mo? You've done a great job for it till now, but uh, sorry, but you, you're not going into the promised land. Your job ends here because I told you to speak and water would flow so people would see that it's me.
but you struck it. And now people think it's because you did something. <clears throat> so he didn't get to finish what he'd started out to do. Can you relate to that? Have you been working on projects at work and all of a sudden boss says, hey, you know what? Yeah, thanks so much. I'm going to give that to so-and-so. And you're like, what? Huh? How about, how about in families where there's divorce? Wait, we didn't get to finish this. We wanted to, to finish this together. Noah, does the task in front of you seem impossible? Ever feel no one understands what um, you've been called to do? <laughs> Boy, that guy for over 100 years. I, I just can imagine the jeering, the ridicule. The what in the world are you doing? You know, it's kind of like when you watch the movie Evan Almighty, right, with... <laughs> That's just so funny, you know, when people are like, this guy is wacko. Man. And finally, how about Deborah? Have you ever landed in a position you weren't necessarily trained to do? Hmm. Folks, these are real-life people, just like you and I. We're real life. And um, God empowers and equips those that he calls, and he has called you and I into various different forms of leadership. Every single person who calls Foothills Church, their home church, should be involved in ministry, should be serving. This isn't a, a I'm going to guilt you to death kind of message. It's just bringing to the fact the truth. If you're not serving in some capacity, there's something wrong. Maybe we've missed out on, on helping you find that area where you can start having experiences and working. For me, it started, I worked with junior high kids. I did not want to work with junior high kids. They were the last thing I was thinking of. I want to work in college ministry. I'm college. And hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. It's like, yeah, no, 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 you're going to work in junior high kids. Guess what? God used that. I fell in love with junior high students. I had no idea, no desire, no goal to be a youth pastor when my youth pastor told me, I think you would be a great youth pastor, I said, what are you talking about? You got to be nuts. Well, what do you have to do that? You got to go to school. Oh, man, I don't want to go more college. Yeah, so I went to three years of JC just to take technical trade classes, right? One semester, I went through police academy. thought I wanted to be a police officer. Then three semesters, eight unit classes uh, for air conditioning and refrigeration. Oh, yeah, because those guys make, you know, back in those days, 50 bucks an hour as journeymen. Yeah, there's my motivation. And God was like, yeah, you're not doing anything like that. I didn't gift you like that. You are mechanically challenged. <laughs> but he said, if you trust me, I got something for you that you are going to love. And it was like, oh, man, what a stretch. And yet God, step by step, allowed me to go to school, to get it paid for, to find my wife who shared a passion 
of following Jesus Christ, who shared a passion of serving. And we've been on this journey ever since. I'm not saying that each and every one of you should be pastors going into the ministry or directors. No. But each and every one of us, please, don't say I've done that before. I've kind of put in my time. I don't see anywhere in Scripture pointed out to me where retirement is an option for a, a Christian. There's nowhere. There's nowhere. So men and women, leadership, it's spelled S-E-R-V-A-N-T. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this time, for your word, for this opportunity to try to open it up and make some sense from it and out of it. Again, we thank you for examples that men and women throughout Scripture have shown us. But most importantly, we thank you for the example of Jesus who modeled, who lived, who taught, who died, and who rose again, showing us how we can lead as servants of yours. We love you and thank you for who you are and for where you have called us to be in your plan on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.